listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. At Rx Safe, we believe in improving patient health by challenging conventional wisdom, upending the status quo, and transforming the retail pharmacy industry. Our innovative technology solutions are designed to accelerate your pharmacy's success and change the way you do business. We develop long-term partnerships with pharmacies and other industry innovators to help attract new customers, create additional revenue streams, and transform the traditional pharmacy model. Become the adherence packaging leader in your community and practice at the top of your pharmacy license. Get started today. Visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com to learn more. Welcome to Beyond the Vial, Transform Your Pharmacy Series. Today's session is titled Diabetes Care and the Impact of Adherence. Brought to you by RxSafe, the leaders in medication adherence technology and community pharmacy support. We're excited to have four amazing panelists on today's discussion. We'd like to welcome pharmacy owner Gada Abukiwik. Gada is the head pharmacist, president, and owner of CureMed Specialty Pharmacy in Clifton, New Jersey. CureMed offers point-of-care testing services and offers a diabetes self-management education program, as well as workshops on cholesterol management and nutrition counseling programs. Our next guest is Dr. Gary Welsh. Dr. Welsh is the co-founder and chief scientific officer of Silver Fern Healthcare. A foremost expert in the area of behavior medicine for chronic disease care, Dr. Welsh has over 30 years of clinical research experience on behavior change strategies for people with diabetes. We welcome Dr. Lisa Faust. Dr. Faust is one of the most influential voices about transformation in the pharmacy industry today. With over 20 years of experience as a pharmacy owner, consultant, compounder, and businesswoman, Lisa is passionate about helping independent pharmacy owners thrive by focusing on diversifying and growing revenue streams. And today's featured speaker is Dr. Annie Rostomayan. Dr. Annie Rostomayan is a board-certified clinical pharmacist and holistic health coach specializing in diabetes management and offers pharmacogenomics consulting. Annie has her own functional wellness practice that emphasizes personalized medicine, lifestyle choices, and a holistic guilt-free nutritional approach to health. And now here's our host, the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri, who launched the first podcast about the profession of pharmacy in 2009, with more than 40 pharmacist hosts and ranked in the top 1% of podcasts globally. These are the voices of pharmacy. Hey there, pharmacy community. Welcome to this webinar and podcast. So if you're listening after this live opportunity to be together, um, we thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Please be interactive during this gathering. Send us your questions through our messenger, uh, Brady Chatfield. He is a member of the RX Safe team. He will be helping us to field those questions and put those questions into um, our, our panel and our session. I want this to be interactive. This is Beyond the Vial, Transform Your Pharmacy Series. This is about diabetes care and the impact of adherence. And before we get started, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to Bill and his uh, command and his lead of the RxSafe uh, team. Um, I love seeing Bill and Brady in their command center with all of that technology behind them because it's one of my sweet spots when I entered pharmacy um, quite many years ago. But welcome, Bill. Thank you so much for having us. Todd, it's always a pleasure to be a part of this uh, amazing organization that you put together. Uh, as as uh, we've talked so many times, the, uh, the challenges uh, that the independent pharmacy owners uh, face today are numerous. Uh, they have uh, come, to, come to an amazing uh, rescue, I think would be the good word to use in, in this uh, uh, pandemic and administering uh, hundreds of millions of shots to uh, people with the vaccine to try to get us through it. Uh, without that uh, amazing first line of 
of uh, healthcare, uh, literally five minutes away from, I think it's 90 to 95% of the population, uh, think of where we would be. So first of all, let me say thank you, a heartfelt thank you to every pharmacy uh, and every pharmacist in our communities that do so much to help uh, everyone every day. The mission is, is uh, caregiving and you've really proven that even at your own risk, many pharmacists have been sick and some have died in this mission and it's, uh, it's a tall order. So again, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, my, my, uh, uh, my honor and privilege to sponsor uh, this event and many like it uh, is just to underscore how much we care and how much we, we really thank you for what you do. Um, so that's what we do when we get up every single day, it's, it's how can we improve the community health across our country. And so, uh, Todd, thank you for this opportunity and uh, you know, turn it back over to you. Thank you, Bill. You've been such an, a consistent um, partner to our pharmacy owners and the stories that we hear, uh, the interviews that I've done, the privilege that I've had to work with your team, uh, with Nicole, with Brady, um, and with your uh, customer base, just been amazing. And it's taught me a lot about service. And I want to talk about that word before we jump in and before we interview and before we get into our guests. Um, this is about our patients. This is about our communities. No one knows that better than the pharmacy owners who are submerged and invested and have made their homes and communities and serving for their patients. There's uh, 34.2 million Americans that have diabetes. It is such a serious chronic disease state. And I think we overlook it sometimes because we get so used to hearing about it over and over again, but it's rising and it's taken a backseat to our pandemic, um, but we have to be cognizant in, in adherence and driving adherence to save lives, save money, uh, save our communities. I want to welcome our panel. I'm so excited about this rock star panel. We have um, four amazing individuals that I've talked to uh, many a times and have worked with many a times, including Dr. Lisa Fast, who is the CEO of Diversify RX. Uh, she's an innovator. She does not stand still. If you are linked up with her on LinkedIn, um, it is a, uh, a treasure trove of information daily that's coming from Lisa and her team. I want to say uh, welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming. Thank you, everybody. appreciate it. Dr. Gary Welsh. Dr. Welsh is the co-founder and chief scientific offer, uh, officer of Silver Fern Healthcare. Um, Gary, this is the first time that I've had the absolute pleasure of having you a part of a panel, and I'm really looking forward to your participation. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here. And no, um, no, uh, no one that I have talked to um, in specialty pharmacy, the fusion of pharmacy, the fusion of uh, community pharmacy, an award winner from the NCPA, a real shining star in our industry, uh, Gata Abukwik uh, with CareMed Pharmacy. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. It's my honor being with you today. Thank you. And our special guest, who I reached out to uh, first from all the guests because her writings, um, blogs, podcasts that she's participated in really caught my attention. Her passion for the patient, specifically those suffering with diabetes, and why we have her as our featured um, guest today, Dr. Annie Rastuman. Um, she's a board-certified clinical pharmacist and holistic health coach. Uh, Dr. Annie, welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Todd. And it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for our invitation. Absolutely. So, wow, 34 million Americans, um, people that rely on their providers to guide them through this disease state and how people that um, are not adherent are crashing and they're suffering and it's causing them not only more pain from a physical perspective and even death, it's causing their families um, strain and pain. It's causing them financial woes. And that's because of the lack of adherence, really digging into their disease state and taking ownership of their disease state. There are of those millions, millions within those millions that are living with diabetes and they're doing great with it. 
And there's a balance between the patients that don't and the patients that do. And I think that there's a wide difference between the attitudes, the pharmacist support, the physician support, and the technology and the packaging that's being used in the midst of all of this. Community pharmacies are so accessible to our patients. I don't know if patients even realize that pharmacists have such a deep understanding and information resource to them as, as people that may be suffering with diabetes. So I kind of want to jump right in, and I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Annie first, and that is, can you kind of set the groundwork for us today as we dig into this topic? What are the top reasons for non-adherence, Dr. Annie? Uh, again, good morning, everyone. Thank you, uh, Todd, for the question. This is one of the biggest questions and dilemmas we're facing right now as healthcare you know, providers. And I do uh, manage diabetes at my work every single day. I talk to at least eight to 10 patients daily, whether it's a you know telehealth visits or whether it's just face-to-face -face now already, more patients coming in. And what I've learned the past six years, it's um, not more medications that really help patients. It's not more healthcare dollars spent per patient on diabetes programs and everything. Uh, it's the mindset. And a lot of times we do see that uh, our students, our pharmacy students that I work with, uh, no one's learning um, how to interview a patient for chronic disease. No one's learning to ask for their pains and family situation and, you know, social determinants of health, where whether you can advise the best, you know, healthiest diets to your patient, but if your patient is struggling with basic necessities and providing food for the entire family and they're not hearing you, you hear patients saying yes, yes, but you could tell patients are not in tune with you. So um, I always say more medications doesn't mean better care. Uh, it's the mindset uh, that we need to work first before even interview a patient for their health habits, medication adherence, and you know lifestyle. Uh, a lot of the patients I work with for Los Angeles County um, Department of Health Services, we do work with the most underserved population, migrant workers, people who are undocumented, and they really have trouble even finding housing or basic necessities. Uh, for them to understand what we're talking about uh, on a daily management of diabetes, it's already a struggle. So uh, we have to meet our patients where they are. We can't just say, you know, diabetes, you know, this is the my plate handout, this is the exercise routine you have, and these are your medications. You should go home and take care of it. So it's a daily work. And I think every patient has their own unique needs that we as healthcare providers need to understand. But at the same time, do we have enough time to give to those patients within our healthcare system? Do we have more than 15, 20 minutes a day to give to one patient for that? That was my biggest problem to realize that we're not designing this care around our patients. Our patients have to accommodate to the 15 minute increments that we have for them and it's not working. And I feel like sometimes we do give and make the same approach consistently and expect different results. And it's, not, it's just not happening. We have to do something different. That's my core understanding. More medications doesn't mean better diabetes care as we see and patient's mindset. If the patient is not there mentally and physically and uh, a level of understanding, nothing's happening. <laughs> that, that, that's my core understanding. Dr. Annie, that is a perfect segue for the data and the experience that Dr. Welsh brings to the table and to the panel today. Uh, Silver Fern has concentrated on behavioral health as a major component of diabetes care. And with that, I want to turn it over for uh, Dr. Welsh's opening uh, to, this, uh, to this event. Thank you, Dr. Welsh, for being here. Thanks, Todd. Well, thanks, Annie, for that uh, tee up, um, because it kind of sparks in my mind a few things. One is that we need to unpack that patient story, and uh, we have to do it in kind of smart digital ways and get that information into the treatment plan and disrupt the whole healthcare system so we have different people with different skills that can help the patient. And, and it's a blend of digital and in-person. We kind of have to get to that ecosystem. Uh, and underpinning that is a couple of big things in my mind, I'd like to, to get back to that. But one is that the business models of all the silos of healthcare 
you know, who delivers care, who administers it, who provides all the goods and services that wrap around it. The business models, we have to study them and see why different groups do what they do, because it makes a lot of sense for their behavior. And if you unpack, you know, a, a pharmaceutical manufacturing or PBM or retail pharmacy, they've all got their business models, they're all connected, but they have their own metrics and why they can and can't do things. So I think this is great um, to be here in this group uh, that's looking at, you know, the role of community pharmacies, because I, I look at um, the primary care network, we've had this COVID uh, uh, eruption that actually brought digital health uh, into a kind of reality. It's like 20% is like the virtual proportion now of, 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 of clinic visits. It's stabilizing at that. We've got these extended teams that could include pharmacists and community health workers and health coaches and nurses. And we, um, we, we know we've, we've also got a loosening up of the regulation so people can get paid to do things that they were locked out from doing. And so this is a, a beautiful unlocking of the system and it only came through this disastrous event, but you know that's just we got to take make make the most of that and and not let things slide back. So I think uh, when you look at the patient story, they got a family um, that they're embedded in. You need to find out what are they doing, well, what would they want to work on, where they're getting stuck, and that unlocks a lot of things in terms of psychosocial issues, social determinants. So I fully agree, Annie, that, that that's really how do you get that story digitally quickly based on clinical research and real frontline community health centers. And that's kind of like the work we've done. And uh, just to wrap on that point, the reason I co-founded Silver Fern is because we built these tool sets in community health center, multidisciplinary teams, including pharmacists. And I realized that to get it out to the 34 millions, you've got to just get out of the system, start a digital health company, find different people to hang out with and start really you know, finding those champions of, of really change and who the care delivery groups uh, that really want to do this. And then what are the business leaders that will support that? Because it makes sense for them and their pain points. So I fully agree with your perspective. God, I want to bring you into the conversation because the majority of your patients are always comorbid with the multiple um, disease states that you're you're managing within your patients as a specialty pharmacy, as a community pharmacy, and also as a diabetes self-management educator and a program developer. So kind of stemming from what um, Dr. Annie and, and, and Dr. Welsh have said, um, I want you to um, launch your uh, insights into uh, better diabetes management. I totally agree with Dr. Adi and Dr. Gary regarding the motivational interviewing and the adherence coaching that the pharmacist that can play a big role, different than the standard counseling. Just having a kind of a mindset with the pharmacist, vital sign, the adher medication adherence is a vital sign to be checked in each patient interaction and making a kind of approach, as Dr. Annie mentioned, less is more. Whenever we're gonna be able to make the medication, to make the less in this way, this is gonna be in increase the adherence for the patient. There are so many different approaches and there are so many different challenges that we are find for the adherence. I'm gonna say a few of them. Minimizing the number of medication uh, by uh, uh, having the combo let me say, uh, giving a patient one pill instead of a few different pills that going to treat the diabetes. Sometimes uh, that's going to be a big impact on a patient. Uh, addressing the financial and physical barrier. Uh, delivery is one big thing. There are so many transportation issues that the patient find uh, to get their medication. Having be alert of potential barriers, sometimes for the hospital patient, discharge, they are not able to get their medication in the evenings or in the holidays or at the weekends. Be familiar as a pharmacist, community pharmacist, with the payer formularies in order to choose the most cost-effective medication for the patient. Addressing the prior authorization promptly to minimize the delay in the therapy for the patient. Uh, helping the patient to find the uh, free or low uh, cost medications by giving them generics, by uh, checking with them about the assistance uh, programs, discount cards, 
uh, that all going to help them to make sure that they are really taking their medications. Uh, communicate effectively with patients by educating them about uh, the risks and the benefits, uh, checking with them about the side effects that they're going may they may, may have when they're gonna start the new medications. Uh, having a kind of a work as a team with the technicians. If they the technician find or hear that the patient is uh, uh, mentioning the cost right away to check with the pharmacist and try to communicate with the patient to have alternative issues, uh, alternative uh, results to help the patient. Considering special populations, that's really big with the um, culture and language barrier. At the same time, we have a few patients with the, let me say, psychiatric patients. How are we going to be able to follow up with them to provide frequent follow-up in a way of a positive reinforcement? So there are so many challenges in the adherence, but main, mainly what we found in the community pharmacy in our pharmacy, the synchronization and compliance packaging through, through the rapid pack makes the adherence really, really high and improving uh, uh, the issues with our patients. Uh, and we may consider that the webinar right now, we may consider this two um, solutions that uh, the pharmacist call the patients in uh, monthly uh, calls to check on their medication. And at the same time uh, to follow up if they have any kind of side effect. And in, in that call, monthly call, we can address all the issues, uh, especially that we check on them when we put the medication in the compliance package with the rapid pack, making sure that the patient is taking all the meds, the necessary meds, the maintenance one, uh, that designed only for this specific patient in the morning or in the evening. Those two, the synchronization and the compliance package really improve the adherence with the patients, with our patients. Thank you for that, Kata. I want to bring in Dr. Lisa Fast, and she's become a barometer for me. And being that litmus test of processes, technology through Diversify RX, really believing in key performance indicators and follow-up to ensure what she promotes because she's a pharmacy owner to other pharmacy owners, it has to work. So Lisa, that's why I have you here because you, you almost become like our, our gauge um, of, of best practices. So I wanna hear your ideas in, in bringing together our three uh, guests today and, and what you've done for your own patients throughout the years. Yeah, thank you for having me, Todd. And, and, and I'm so glad that everybody like went first because you guys hit on all the clinical points of, of this problem. And I, and I think ultimately as, as somebody who started my career in a heavy Hispanic, very poor area of California, um, I think when it comes to adherence, there's this um, issue with patients that it's, they know it's serious, but they don't really truly understand the consequences. You know, when doctors or pharmacists speak, well, in 15 years, your kidneys will go. Well, right now, I'm not worried about 15 years from now. I'm worried about buying food for my family and affording my medication. And, you know, like they're, as a patient, and I know in my own life, our concerns are much more short-term, you know? Most of us don't invest for the long-term, you know, in our finances, much less in our health. And I think there's this just dichotomy between patient education and patient awareness and really truly understanding and internalizing um, the, the information and big food and big marketing. I had this aha a couple of days ago as I was you know kind of prepping for this webinar and I had diabetes on my mind. I was, I was watching a TV commercial about Honey Nut Cheerios and, you know, love Honey Nut Cheerios, nothing against them, but, you know, they make, they're able to make their health claims about being heart healthy because of the amount of fiber that they have. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, diabetics don't have a disease in a silo. They rarely just have diabetes. They often have so many other things. So, you know, I happen to be sitting with some family and it's like, Hey, what do you guys think of that? They're like, Oh, that's, you know, I had a little dialogue and it's like, but the last thing a diabetic needs to be eating is a big bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. You know, it's like, and there's just all of these mixed messages. And how do we expect the layman, the, the regular patient, as, as, as Dr. Annie mentioned, that are often from other cultures, other languages, you know, how do we expect everybody to decipher through this language 
if, you, if you're not monitoring them. And so, you know, kind of back to what you were talking about, uh, Todd, with KPIs, I think there's, you know, very critical KPIs when it comes to uh, patient, you know, the patient adherence score um, to me is, is, you know, paramount. And that's what the beauty as, you know, Gata was saying of the RX safe packaging and the compliance packaging is, you know, when patients are getting refilled, you know that they're getting all the medications they need, but there, to me, there's a step beyond that. How many of those patients are you actually verifying? You know, you're not just filling medication to fill medication, but, you know, are you verifying with them? Are you verifying with the, with the uh, family member? You know, because obviously sometimes you're dealing with elderly patients or, or different cultures that they don't even speak the language. You know, there's, to me, there's always that step further. And just like when you're measuring, um, you know, morphine equivalent milligrams for pain patients, you know, you need to be measuring these patients like, get them to understand why testing their blood sugar, you know, what is your percentage of diabetic patients that actually test their blood sugar and log it, you know, and if you're really into to caring about these patients, you can create subset of KPIs that really help you monitor those patients and take better care of them. And, and again, get them to understand why, you know, cause they have to understand the why, you know, in, in everything, all of this human behavior. I loved how you opened up um, Dr. Welch with, with the human behavior component. Like you have to understand why you're doing it and you have to have a good why if you're ever going to be compliant. And to me, I think the data helps patients to understand the why, um, you know, and I, I think that's why those marketing materials of, you know, amputations and, you know, the, the horribleness, but that's how you kind of get the shock for them to understand the why of daily management of their disease that isn't going to get bad for a really long time, but why today is important for that disease. Dr. Annie, um, my dad reminded me that medication reminds him daily that he has an issue and he doesn't like that. He's very active. He walks, he exercises. He, to look at him from the, as an outsider, a 74 year old man, you would never know that he's on the medications that he is. And he lives as freely as he can. So when I'm listening to Lisa talk about multiple meds and KPIs and making sure what works and what doesn't, I think of that diabetic patient who typically takes multiple medications and has that complicated drug reg regime and really needs to understand how important it is without constantly being reminded that they're having some kind of disorder or sickness. So in your experience, what have you done to set a precedence and set an importance to get past that challenge, to get past that obstacle um, with your patients uh, that, are, that are diabetic? Oh, absolutely. Great question, Todd. Um, I want to, you know, um, start with saying that, you know, human nature is non-compliant. We all are non-compliant. And even me, I don't like taking medications. I know I can barely handle a seven or 10 day course of, uh, you know, prescription for acute conditions if I've given that. But imagine the daily life of patients who have to take seven to 10 medications and they have to be compliant and they're questioned by their doctors, by nurses um, and the pharmacists on top of it asking questions. A lot of my patients, um, they say, I feel like I'm punished when I'm given um, more medication or I'm, my medication doses are you know, increased, my insulin doses increased. They feel they didn't do well as a patient. They failed, you know, they failed their own disease. And the stigma around diabetes, uh, kind of the whole thing about medications is I have to just live with it. My parents had it. I have to just, just not talk about it. I'm going to get all these medications and I just have to do my very best. Patients feel punished. Uh, and a lot of times the approach that, you know, we hear from um, them, their doctors saying that if you don't bring your A1C to this percent, I'm going to have to start you on insulin. That's kind of like verdict. You know, they feel like, okay, this is, this means I didn't do well. And they kind of go into this denial mode saying, you know what, in that case, I'm not taking anything. My encouragement for patients, and we do this daily with everyone, the approach is different. There's no one size fits all regimen that works with every patient. And we always meet them where they are. We have to meet our patients where they are. What can you do? What are the methods? If you're tech savvy, what are the reminders that you have for yourself that you can do to increase adherence? 
if you if you you know incorporate lifestyle uh, modifications, the ones that we're advising, you may take less medication. So it seems like oh, the picture is getting better. I can take less medications at some point in my life. So it's a lot of mind work that unfortunately healthcare providers either are not trained or not. Uh, able to utilize because of time constraint. We're not going to sit with the patient for one hour and and see what works, which we do actually, but not for all health systems. So every patient is unique. And a lot of times, if the patients are not tech savvy, they're not being honest and they're not, they're selectively not good historians saying, are you, how many times a week do you miss your medications? None. I take all of them, but there's time like Bottles are full of tablets. You know, it's it's human nature. And I feel like pharmacists are well-equipped and trained with addressing the root cause and non-punitive way. You know, I hear you. You know, I'm non-compliant too. I miss my medications. When you come from that space that it's okay, if you missed your metformin yesterday, that's absolutely fine. So then patient opens up. So it, it, it really brings up the best in you as a healthcare provider getting the true story. We don't know what's happening in their homes, right? Every week, we, we can't manage their medication compliance from our end, but honest and, and sincere conversation and empathy, I think that can work magic, absolutely. So as I'm thinking of what you're saying, Dr. Annie, I think of that behavioral component immediately in making our patients feel better as they move through treatment and I, I think of the technologies that we have in place, messaging, reminders, adherence packaging through the RxSafe platform. Dr. Welsh, what has your firm and agency discovered in diabetes patients specifically that you can share with our pharmacists and our pharmacy owners today that can kind of help a common denominator per se of where they can start if they see that their patients in fact are non-adherent? Well, what, uh, we have, we're a digital health company that came out of clinical research in a, in a big hospital system. Um, we were in the community health center part of it. So we were developing these digital tools that are basically assessments, asking in little bites, you know, what is going on with your self-management behaviors? Where are you getting stuck? What do you want to work on? Um, what would you do? Um, what are you doing? And then uh, exploring other psychosocial issues like depression, or other behavioral health issues or social determinants, the things that are going on at home, the tough things about you know, not enough money or transportation, or there's uh, legal problems, or maybe there's some or racism. So we've got it down to like these little bites of assessments that can you can do them with a tech survey now. So we can blast it out away from the pharmacy, away from the clinic or whatever the setting in, and start to get little bites of that patient's story. Uh, was it medication taken? Maybe it's about monitoring the blood sugars or CGM. Maybe it's uh, physical activity uh, and so on. And so you kind of unlock these little stories about the patient's life and you pull that into your treatment plan and the workflow and the right team member can be assigned uh, to say, well, I can do some work on that. I've got, I've got, uh, uh, I can do texting or I can call them. I'll see them when they come in, or maybe I'll just give them a PDF or something where they can start to get some grounding. And so I feel like what we're doing with a silver fern is we're coming out of clinical research with this digital tool that's going to start unlocking with questions, smart questions, very practical ones, simple ones down to level grade four or five. And they're, they're, they may be sophisticated questions, but you just make them very simple. And then when you get that information, what are you going to do with it? Because it's kind of a responsibility if you kind of unlock the box and someone says they're depressed and, and you can hold a mirror up to that family and say, did you know that this patient is actually depressed? We've done the PHQ-9 and it's, a, it's nine questions and we, we scored it automatically up in the cloud and this patient's depressed, can we get some help? And then the patient has options and they'll say, well, what, what can we do about that? And so you look at the ecosystem and see what you can offer. And we find when we talk to different, uh, whether it's ACOs or health plans or employee groups or digital health companies, there's different resources that that particular system will have and different things that they can do in a pharmacy I see one of the great opportunities is really pick up where primary care is never going to get to in the short term, which is 
people need to know they need information they need motivation they need specific skills to learn and you could be the place like the minute clinic uh going from just these acute care things you walk in with you could become the care management extender of primary care and you could really add value uh, once you get the business model locked in and that's where lisa's kind of uh, world is is it an employer who's self-insured uh, is it um, a digital health company that's got you know that carves out a group uh, and they have their clients which is health plans is it um is it a, some other party is it farmer the farmer uh, sort of sector where adherence is such an opportunity and there's money left on the table maybe you can pull some uh some sort of uh, of the sort of big players in the pharmaceutical world say as a PBM or manufacturer say, yep, this sounds like a great idea and we're going to invest in it and help you build capacity in your community uh, pharmacy. And let's, let's get going here and really turn the engine on because we already know what to do. But I think this kind of digital um, sort of uh, little questionnaire bites that go out to a smartphone survey that's via text. That's the way to get those little bites, and then you you run with it and pull it into your treatment planning and your care team. So that's kind of what we're trying to we're trying to find those champions. And it sounds like this is a wonderful community and a great opportunity for community pharmacists to differentiate themselves and to really take this this sort of gap that's in the in the in the marketplace. I've never met a community of providers of healthcare more than that community pharmacy owner that's per, that's meeting their patients where they are. They know those patients. They know what they're going through, the financial strains, maybe some uh, legal issues like uh, Dr. Annie was bringing up. Um, God, I want to come back to you because of your unique uh, position in your community. Uh, and, and that is back to that comorbidity stage. And you know, if we could offer non-traditional services like screenings, recommendations of lifestyle, uh, diet changes, uh, providing that holistic approach to diabetes care, can you talk to me about any of your experience with your patients in leveraging those non-traditional services and how they can take that same collaborative approach, how our pharmacy owners can take that same collaborative approach with the physicians? I'm going to start first with the type of care that the pharmacist gives to their patient. That is kind of 95% of the treatment and the solution. How the patient feel that we really care about them, that we really love to see them in a better situation, uh, the rewards that we give them every month or every time they come and visit us, I believe that is the main vital uh, 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 treatment that I see with my patients. That is really big, the emotion and the love that they feel with, with their community pharmacy. And I will just mention one of the traditional things that I find it's really amazing, especially with my diabetes patients, is the continuous uh, glucose monitoring. My 80% patients come to me and looking for this kind of uh, glucose monitoring that it really helped them a lot uh, to check their blood sugar. But if I will go back and mention about the different kind of non-traditional uh, uh, approaches with our patients, we have the weight loss program that is really amazing to understand how is the lifestyle changes, the healthy lifestyle, how it's going to make a positive impact on our life, on our diabetes, on our blood pressure, on our anxiety, on our just being happy and, and you know, and, and living uh, our life. Uh, 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 having a uh, hosting a community events with our patients and having a dietitian uh, talking about different kinds of food and what is make us happy, um, you know, different kind of, make, make those kind of uh, events a kind of, uh, um, Fun, let me say it in this way, because when people hear that this is going to be about diabetes, they wouldn't come. But if they hear that there is something kind of funny, and we're going to have some kind of dancing in, in, our, in our event, and we're going to have this dietitian who's going to talk about uh, this kind of food, we see that uh, the number of people, let me say from 10%, it's going to go up right away to 50%. So this kind of emotions, even our host events, uh, hosting the events in the pharmacy make a big difference. Uh, so the weight loss program is really big. Having dietitian in our uh, uh, events is really big. 
um, our goal, if we reach 80% uh, adherence with our total number of patients, we feel that we are happy because as they, as Dr. Annie and Dr. Walsh mentioned, that each case is different and it's not gonna be easy to have the, the, the adherence 100% with everyone. And we are one of them. We don't like to take medications. Uh, so yeah, those kind of things that we do at the pharmacy and we believe that we see a great impact on, on our community. I have to shift back to you, Dr. Annie, for a second. Um, and I have a follow-up question for, uh, for Lisa. You have an amazing Instagram. You're very personal with your social media, which is such an important part of being a provider today. We can't hide behind the fact that, hey, I don't want people to know my name or I don't want to be a public you know, speaker or anything like that. We're, you're in it now and social media is just the way that we're communicating and you're doing a lot of education for, for providers and you brought up a collaboration with dietitians. I kind of want to go off what Gata just prefaced and kind of dig down into that collaboration and where you've had the most success. Oh, absolutely. Um, Todd, I wanted to also add that, you know, uh, our patients really like um, us explaining, you know, complex co uh, concepts in medicine, very simple way. So um, some social media platforms are an excellent opportunity for us to give the, you know, the information about nutrition in a simple way or visual so they love that. They like simplified because they don't like to think, oh, what's proteinuria? What's the you know diabetic kidney disease? Or what is the you know coronary artery disease that is going to happen to me in 10 years? I don't want to hear about it. I want to hear what can I eat? What can actually you can give me? What suggestions? So uh, registered dietitians are an excellent source for great nutrition uh, you know information. And we as pharmacists are, again, very well trained in nutrition. But they're in addition to what we are you know, telling to patients, they're emphasizing the importance of, okay, so why do I need fiber in, all, in my diet plan? What is fiber? And um, a lot of times the collaboration, um, and in my institution, we have the PCMH, which is patient-centered medical home model, collaboration of variety of specialties around the patient. No one's chasing the providers anymore. Patient is in the center. Everyone works around them. Interdisciplinary team works around them with social workers, dietitians, pharmacists, nurses, doctors, to make your health better. Uh, excellent uh, addition to you know our healthcare team. I also wanted to mention that with that said, our patients like tangible rewards for their health behavior changes. We're human. We don't care if we're not going to die in thirty years from you know heart attack, but we care what can we get today for our good behavior. We want to be, you know, incentivized and rewarded for it. So I feel like health plans have a great work here to do to incentivize patients for better A1Cs, lower A1Cs, lower BMIs. And that's something that I've always said, if that works, let's try it. Let's try making this patient's co-pays lower than they are if their numbers are better. So that's one of the approaches. But again, multidisciplinary team is the way to go with chronic disease. There's no more doctor and patient <laughs> dual relationship. That's not working anymore. It's many people involved in one patient's care. Lisa, you really dig into what's working for pharmacy owners and what's not. I think you test it on yourself first before you push it out to anybody else. What is working for communications? Um, is it newsletters? Is it email? Is it texting? Is it social media? Um, Dr. Annie does an amazing job in social media, but not enough people are probably replicating what she's doing, nor do some of these pharmacy owners have time. So what have you and the Diversify RX uh, think tank uh, come up with? Yeah, <clears throat> video is where it's at. Um, and I talk to pharmacy owners every day that... <clears throat> Just as you said earlier, they don't want to be the face. They don't want to be the name. But I tell them, like, you have to view people respect people who they know. You know, you, you can't be just a faceless corporation. That's what makes us different as independent pharmacy owners. And I tell them it doesn't have to be a production. We all have in our head that, like, when you do a video, you know, you need the professional lighting and you need the boom <laughs> microphone and you need you need all this stuff. But frankly, our cell phones for the last few years take more than good enough video. And so 
I try to tell pharmacy owners to be really authentic and create that relationship via social media. So when you're unboxing a new supplement, like, you know, when I think it was Dr. Annie who was talking about patients love getting that immediate feedback that they're making improvements, which is one of the reasons why I love supplements that have some sort of test behind them. And um, Todd, I know you know Berkeley Life, but Berkeley yeah. Life, I think, is a great supplement for diabetes. As we're talking about diabetic patients, you know, I'll kind of wrap into that I think if more independent pharmacy owners understood how they can monetize diabetic patients by taking better care of the patient, they actually get to create more profit for themselves and better outcome for the patient. I think more pharmacists and more independent pharmacies in particular would take even better care of these diabetic patients. But when you have a supplement like Berkeley Life, which for those of you that don't know, it helps um, increase your body's nitric oxide levels, which helps with circulation. So if you're talking about neuropathies and all kinds of things that happen with diabetes, um, well, they got this great little saliva test, you know, and so you can have patients come in and test their little saliva and see that they don't have what they should. <laughs> and then they take the supplements. And then when they come back in, you know, the next time you see them, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, you know, it's like, hey, here's your another little saliva test. And oh my gosh, it's pink. It's more pink than it was last time. And you get that positive feedback. And that's why I think compliance is so hard with diabetes is because it's like, there's not a benefit. There's a, there's this far off consequence but there isn't, there isn't a benefit. And I loved what you said of incentivizing by co-pays. You know, in the COVID pandemic, everybody knows that you don't have to pay for a COVID vaccine. You know, the government and all the powers that it be are behind this movement to ensure that people get the COVID care that they need. Well, diabetes has a much bigger impact financially, even as crappy as COVID is. Longer term, diabetes has a much heavier impact. So it's like, how can we, how can we take that and throw it in there? Back when I was doing my own PBM and helping employers and, and creating all these benefits, that was a part of every single one of our plans is we gamified their health in the sense that if they did the things that we wanted them to do, they got incentives. And maybe that was lowering a copay, um, or maybe it was a cash card to use on supplements or those kinds of things. But I think patients need those feedbacks. And I think pharmacy owners, you asked like what What's working, Todd? To me, what's working is taking care of that whole patient, not just dispensing their prescriptions, because we all know from a business standpoint of pharmacy, that just isn't working anymore. There's just not a profit there, which to me, time equals money, but also money equals time. And so when pharmacy owners feel crunched for money, they automatically crunch back time and then they lose that ability to have those relationships and those really important clinical conversations with patients. So if we can teach, and that's what the mission I'm on, is to teach pharmacy owners how to monetize these patients in other ways that are ultimately helping in their therapeutic outcomes, but now they have more money, which equals now they have more time. And, then, and it just benefits everybody when pharmacists are paid for their time adequately um, by being able to sell a product that actually helps a, payment, a patient achieve their outcomes. Outcome. So to me, that's what's working now, Todd, is diversifying the revenue, using really cool supplements that help target specific patients. And you're, it's a win-win for everybody. So I want to encourage the listeners, if you're listening live, if you're listening to this as a podcast, to reach out to the RxSafe team who have the network beyond the technology, beyond the common denominator of adherence packaging through the rapid pack, the connections to organizations like Diversifier X, like Lisa, like uh, Berkeley Life, because I think it's all encompassing. It's not separated anymore. There are no silos around RxSafe. <laughs> They're more of an interconnector organization than they are this standalone technology that fits nicely in the corner of your pharmacy and doesn't take up a lot of space in your pharmacy space at all. But I want to I want to ask about that behavioral aspect again, bringing this up through Dr. Welsh, and that is you're hearing providers, you're hearing people that are out there actually doing this. What cases have you heard? I want to hear about the victory that you have uh, to share with us through data that show that specific plans, specific treatments, specific um, engagements um, that are consistent between the pharmacist and the patient is now proving to be better outcomes. If you could share some of the data with us. Well, I have worked directly with uh, pharmacy groups. We've worked mostly with uh, health plans and I've come out of clinical research and hospital networks. 
But if I kind of think of some of the themes that have bubbled up here, what Lisa has just spoken, one of the things uh, is is really um, who we're who we're grounded in professionally, and we've joined as a digital health company coming out of uh, sort of clinical research, uh, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is a new subspecialty that looks at intensive lifestyle, and really it's really like shifting out the cultural. Um, the cultural problem we have, and it's a cultural problem, that the food we have around us, the way we live every day, the amount of activity we get, we're just sitting on computers here for hours, um, the, these lifestyle fundamentals have shifted. And we have to, we have to swap out the modern uh, American diet in particular, which is highly processed food, a lot of chemicals, doesn't have fiber, it doesn't have a lot of plant in it. It's, um, it's got a lot of salt and simple sugars and all these things that drive our systems and biological systems crazy, including driving diabetes. The, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine was almost like a grounding new um, professional platform for us to gravitate to. So if the community pharmacists join the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, for example, which is, tends to be a lot of younger doctors who've kind of had these same epiphanies that uh, Annie's talking about. They'll say, well, you know, patients won't take the meds and we've got a procedure ordered and now there's a, there's a diagnostic we've got to do and it's kind of depressing. We'll hold their hand on the way down. They, they, they try on themselves this lifestyle medicine, more of a plant-based clean food, and they flip out all the processed food and sugar, sweetened beverages. And when you do that experiment, those numbers, those control rates for A1C, blood pressure, blood lipids, they suddenly start moving. The weight loss happens. People feel more in control of their, of their systems. They can feel it. They feel better. And so that's the experiment these, these lifestyle medicine uh, practitioners are doing themselves. And they say, I'm going to do this in my practice. And now I'm going to go and talk to my organization, start shaking the cage. And so I feel like the, the, farm, the community pharmacists, if they would join that army, it's a small army, but it's, it's a fast growing subspecialty. That's another way I kind of see hope. Um, and so when you ask what has worked, we worked with um, outbound call centers, nurses, chronic care nurses for health plans who manage uh, state employees with chronic diseases who come out of the high risk strat um, and they're identified with diabetes that are going to be the 5% who are 50% of the cost. So they get the attention. So they get outbound calls and they use our, our, what we call a behavior diagnostic to find out about the self-management struggles. What are the psychosocial issues? What are the social determinants? And then they have different conversations. And that's the thing that I've been really struck by is that when patients start having open questions and exploration, and then they see like holding a mirror up to them about what's going on, they say, yeah, you're right. I, I probably do need to try that. What, what do you suggest? And you go on a journey to try something. And usually the fundamentals are about basic lifestyle foundations that you have to shift because we're all living in a kind of crazy uh, ecosystem every time we walk out the door or the way our houses are set up. So I feel like there's a lot of hope, but the data that we've had coming out of those experiments with health plan chronic care teams, which would be the same you could do in, in, a, in, a, in a, um, a community pharmacy, is that when you just relate to people different and you use the digital piece to get this information from the patient's asynchronously when they're at home you get a text survey comes from a pharmacist they recognize they'll tell you their story little bites of information go back to the team goes into the into the treatment plan and you can help them in very tailored ways the last thing is you roll this up to data visualization like real-time onboarding what patients are doing what modules and telling you what data and then you use that kind of rolled out population data say well what programs do we need to design and how do we kind of change the incentives here so that people uh, can can move towards the good so that's kind of what we found Annie, I want to hear back from you on the technologies that you have utilized through your time not only are you caring for patients but you're teaching other pharmacists how to become better uh, diabetes uh, treatment providers. So what technologies have you um, employed uh, throughout your time uh, in pharmacy? Uh, Todd, um, could, I, could I jump in for just a second? Sure. I, want, I wanted to tell a very interesting story. I'm sorry, Annie, just uh, this perfect, perfect add-on for Dr. Welsh. I was watching a program on TV a couple of days ago that was a very interesting uh, research around diabetes. 
they tracked two adult males uh, from India, one from a big city and one from the country. And they were talking about the DNA that was being turned on and turned off inside the womb before these people are born. And what it basically tracked was, was incontrovertible and, and very, very interesting. This is, we talk about education, education, education. I think we've missed a piece called prevention. You know, if, if we're talking to people in these communities, especially the poor communities, and we're telling them, you know, here's where we are, here's what's going on. Uh, one thing is to say, you shouldn't be ashamed. You shouldn't be ashamed that you have this disease state. Let's, let's work on it. Let's, let's get on top of it. Let's make you healthy for the rest of your life. But let's tell the rest of your family and your friends that you can avoid this potentially becoming diabetic because when you get programmed in the womb because your was in a very poor area of the world and ate a very simple diet, that you, you, you become in your body uh, able to very, very efficiently convert food because you have to, to survive. You don't get much intake, caloric and valuable intake. And they took this gentleman from a big city and tracked him and he didn't have diabetes, even though he was now on this Western diet, full of salt, full of sugar, and all the other chemicals that we have here. And then they took this fellow who came from the poor part of India in the country where the diet of his mother was very simple. And his system simply couldn't adapt to the very rich diet that he just unwittingly, you know, is stopping at Dunkin' Donuts. You're, 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 you're eating the Cheerios in the morning. And the story here is, it appears from the research that if people were to be careful about their diet, knowing that this is potentially in their DNA, we might avoid having more millions more people become diabetic. And so I thought that might be interesting, Dr. Welch, to just comment if you're aware of that. And then, uh, I'm sorry, Annie, we'll, we'll jump back over to you. I think there's a, there's a huge literature that, that doesn't bubble up to the consciousness of healthcare professionals necessarily definitely not to the public, that um, that the, the, these kind of shifts are happening in the culture in our society, but the biology we have has not changed, and it's not going to change quickly. And so that's the kind of kind of the mismatch. So you talk to people who grew up, you know, 50 years ago, they'll see in the country in India, people who are starting to get wealthier would shift what they eat. They'd have a refrigerator. They would eat different. They wouldn't take walk to school. And the, 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 they would see the shift. Incomes, the obesity, and all the and these pro-inflammatory kind of cardiovascular type two diabetes, chronic kidney disease, dementias, all these kind of mental health problems, they all come with this pro-inflammatory diet and this shift in the way that we live. And so the default is not is the default that we have when we walk out the door or the way our houses are set up. That's the problem. And it's not the people, and it's not, you know, battering them on willpower. It's really just helping them to kind of just look upstream and say, where's this coming from? And then once they say, okay, it's a bit crazy here, but there are still good options, and I'm going to find some delicious food that I can afford that's right around here, and I'm going to eat it, and then I'm going to get better and work with my clinical team and look at the numbers, and I'll, and I'll feel better. And so it's kind of like an engine you turn on, uh, but that epiphany isn't happening uh, and, and it's not that you, you know, you want everyone to go towards remission because there is the, the direct trial, which is a UK trial, which is a fascinating one where they, they basically got people to lose 30 pounds uh, on a short sprint of a restriction to 800 calories. Then they got them back to real food at a much lower left, probably 30% less than they had before. And guess what? 80% of the diabetes turns off if they've had diabetes within six years. So that's Roy, um, Roy Taylor's work in, in the UK, the direct trial. That's a very rigorous trial. They've repeated it in the Middle East, actually. Uh, and so there, there's that hope and that nobody's gonna go to switching to that intense lifestyle change and losing 30 pounds. It's not gonna happen to most people, but you can kind of see where, where we could head in terms of not just going on an 800 calorie diet, to get 30 pounds off, but uh, and so the fat comes out of the pancreas and the liver and it resets the insulin resistance. It's more that we got to look at our culture and say, this is kind of crazy, but we can really get smart and families can protect themselves. And guys like you can be there to support them on that journey to start really shifting out these, these cultural habits that are hurting us and just replace them with good ones and just help families sort of heal uh, literally, and then start to thrive. I think that's the role that you guys could take because I don't think primary care is going to take that role 
for quite a long while because they don't have the resources and the, their business models are very crimped by the broader you know systems who owns their their who owns their organization is usually a big hospital or it's a big practice group it's not their model is fee-for-service sick care and with good people they're good people doing a model that we kind of got used to but we're in a bit of a rut so i think there's definitely a way out and your story uh, definitely was was sort of caught caught up with that in my mind Oh, and Gary, thank you for that, because that really meshes two uh, viewpoints together. And what I wanted to follow up with was with Annie with regards to technology and the leverage of technology. The reason why I asked that is technology is supposed to make um, things easier or repetitive so that we can catch the outcomes uh, over and over again so that we can make adjustments later in making things better. So uh, with that, Annie, if you could comment on on some successes you've had with, with leveraging technology. Oh, absolutely, Todd. <clears throat> I also wanted to say that um, this year, you know, um, ADA 2021 updates are bringing diabetic technology into the picture and mentioning that, you know, in, um, you know incorporating this in uh, chronic care uh, management will improve outcomes, yes but it's limited. We don't have all of our patients who qualify for CGMs getting it. And there's a lot of barriers and a lot of hoops there. We have to jump around to get them what they need. Uh, <clears throat> I also wanted to mention that um, involvement of technology is not one way. It has to be two way with providers and we need to have more providers, more educated how to interpret that data. It's the data that provider will get 24 hour measurement of your, you know, so-and-so patients blood glucose readings. How are you well trained to, um, first of all, we're willing to go into that, interpret and have a conversation with your doctor, you know, with your patient. Um, uh, CGMs are going to be the future of uh, the, the diabetes care for sure. In 1990s, the glucometers were the thing, you know, the new thing that just came out and everyone was fascinated. Oh, we can have a home blood glucose monitor. This year and on, CGMs are going to be the new technology that pharmacists are going to be, like, they, they will have to learn more about it. They will have to offer it and educate patients how to utilize that data. But I wanted to also go back to um, the behavior change and say that <clears throat> food behavior change changes the entire culture of the entire household. And I always tell the patients, when you change this behavior, when you change your health habits, your entire family will eat differently. And unfortunately, diabetes is getting younger. It's not a want from our side to eat healthier. It's a must. We have to lead by our example because in 10 years, our, our kids are going to have, I'm not saying prediabetes, our kids are going to have type 2 diabetes in their 20s. This is a sad reality. This is not a, a thing of, oh, this is new, you know, healthy eating behavior I have to adopt. No. If we as healthcare providers are not following the, the what we're preaching, our patients are not going to trust us, whether it's technology, adherence, whether it's a good amount of education we give, they're going to go home and say, you know what, that pharmacist didn't seem like they're following a healthy diet. I and my doctor is not really, you know, in, in tune with what I'm doing. It's not important. So um, CGMs are the future, but they have to become more accessible. We're having big issues with coverage. So that's another huge part of the financial aspect of diabetes care. Well, I wish we had another hour, but we mm -hmm. are going to wrap up for this uh, webinar. I want to extend a very special thank you for Dr. Lisa Fast's participation from Diversify RX, as well as Dr. Gary Welsh with uh, Chief Scientific Officer from Silver Fern Healthcare. Um, thank you so much, Gada, for always being available to the Pharmacy Podcast um, Nation and what you do and, and the feedback that you give to the RxSafe uh, team and your leadership at, at CureMed uh, Pharmacy. And a special thank you to our uh, featured speaker today, Dr. Annie Rostaman. Um, we have to get more of your information out through Instagram. I'm going to start replicating uh, what you're doing on our page. But in our show notes, if you're listening to this as a podcast, we will have connections to our um, link to LinkedIn of all of our hosts and all of our panelists. And last, but absolutely certainly not least, the team at RxSafe, you've been so consistent. You've been this gong that's been banging for years now in support of community pharmacy, leveraging technology, 
uh, better technology, better ways of doing things through adherence and your adherence packaging through the rapid pack. And Bill, uh, just want to say thank you. And Brady, thank you so much for doing this. Todd, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I learned something every single time. And then we start to develop these relationships with other amazing people that share our passion. Um, I just wanted to, to close with, with a couple thoughts. First, um, I lost my 94-year-old father to medication error and adherence problems. Um, he was um, had uh, declining vision and just was unable to manage all his vials. Um, he, he would still be here today if, uh, if we'd had some, uh, some easy way of producing you know, a strip pack for, uh, for daily medication uh, uh, for, for ease of use for patients. Uh, 125,000 people a year die unnecessarily for non-adherence. Many of them are the people we talked about today. Um, $500 billion spent unnecessarily in our healthcare ecosystem, which takes away from the resources that are needed for other people and other, uh, other causes. Um, education, education, education. I think that's what we talk about, Todd, and that's what you do such an amazing job with, with your outreach to some 70,000 people that uh, participate in your network. Um, and, and I just wanna say, you know, very, very, very sincerely, um, adherence, 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 everybody talks about it. And then a lot of pharmacy owners think, well, I just can't do it. I can't afford it. I can't find a way to do it. But adherence packaging helps the community in many, many ways. First of all, it frees up time for the pharmacist. Instead of filling eight vials, you fill a single strip, number one. Number two, we have testimonials all over our website from patients that were in this category of not so able to get educated, not so able to get information, not so easy to travel, not so easy to afford things, who have been put on these adherence packages systems by the pharmacist. And they repeatedly say, I feel better. Uh, Larry at McDowell Pharmacy said, um, I, my A1C is under control for the first time in my life and my doctor noticed it and asked me what changed. And I told him about the adherence packaging that my pharmacist recommended that I go on. And so that, that underlying theme of let's get these patients adherent is over and over and over uh, repeated and we know it. The, the, everyone benefits, the patient benefits, the pharmacist benefits, the doctor benefits, the family benefits, the healthcare ecosystem benefits. And it is truly affordable. Please look into it. Uh, I beg you to do that on behalf of your patients in the community. Uh, it's, it's cost effective. It's, it's cheaper to fill uh, four prescriptions in a strip pack than in vials. So you don't have to charge for the service. Uh, I'd say 99% of the 300 people, 300 pharmacies that run our rapid packs today uh, don't charge for it. They, they offer it and they advertise it. We help them advertise it. We bring them new patients. And so we are out here uh, trying to get this message out to the community. And Todd does a great job of that. And I'll and I'll answer. I'll leave with one question: If not the pharmacist, if not the community pharmacist, then who? If not the community pharmacist, then who? And it has to be the community pharmacist. So please reach out to our team. This this panel has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for participating on this. I think this um, probably gives away to an extension and into individualizing some of these interviews to, to really build upon what we've talked about today. And with that, I thank you, pharmacy owners, pharmacists out there doing what you're doing, especially during this time in the pandemic. God bless all of you. Uh, we love you. We'll do whatever we can to help you. Please reach out to RxSafe or the Pharmacy Podcast Network or uh, Lisa at DiversifyRx. And with that, have a great day.